0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Everything's Been Done podcast. Conversations in cycling and subculture. I'm your host, Dustin Klein. Today's episode is brought to you by the Everything's Been Done Gear Shop. Just recently added to the Everything's Been Done Gear Shop are DCO, Disruptive Commotion Overlay, Face Masks, Face Covering, Health Protectors, Civilization Builders. Yes, the new Camo DCO face covers are available now on the Everything's Been Done Gear Shop. The greatest place on the internet. Today's guest is an accomplished artist, a master of lettering, and a dabbler in many subcultures. You can find him on Instagram at ornamentalconifer. Please join me in welcoming Nikolai Sclater. Well, and then what about how all the subcultures are like you just they're all kind of similar
1: they but, are kind of similar
0: and then i really like what you're saying that they in a in a sense it sounds like they're kind of incestuous in their own way
1: yeah they well, well of, you know it's quite it's quite easy to us imagine that if you as a cyclist live your life as a cyclist, there's a high percentage chance that you're going to also enjoy climbing or being outdoors or cooking on a campfire. So it's like, that's where you can cross over all these little things easily within one subculture. But then they're also going to be like, oh, but I also like going for like motorcycle rides. So they're interested in all of those hobbies. And that's, I as am I. So I go between them all. But Did- I barely scratch the surface of
0: either of them. That's the problem. Okay, so that's where it's interesting. I'm like super when I'm into something, it's like ah, super intense about it yeah. and I'll get kind of blinders to to a fault where I won't really like look at other subcultures as much. like climbing. I know absolutely nothing about climbing cuz yeah. it I, it just doesn't like pull to me, so it's just like whatever.
1: Yeah.
0: And it's I don't know. It, it just there's something about that like tunnel vision of Maybe this is me being blinded by my perspective, but it seems like people that are core in a culture tend to kind of stay in that culture. I see that in skincare. 100%. A lot. There are,
1: yeah. There, but so when I've been explaining to people who I was doing a podcast with, I would say Dustin Klein, and they would be like, oh, okay, who's that? And then I'd say, you know, he's a core element because I, beca- I guess I became aware of you in the early 2000s. Maybe oh, you're shit. like when, when I was like looking at watching MASH and just kind of like getting into that whole world and cadence and I was like, Oh, so I've known your name for a long time but but then my friends who are you know, I've I've been beside for the last ten years and we you know, we have very similar interests and stuff, would like, Oh, but well, I've never heard of this guy before because it was a niche little thing. It was I used to go to Brick Lane Vice. I would get this little funny magazine and look through it and see cool little pictures of dudes Doing stuff, and I was like, okay, this is something interesting. So I don't know where that tangent is going, but ultimately I, I guess I kind of, yeah, I knew you from back then, but that's a little niche thing.
0: I love the tangents, more of those. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay, so where, where did you
1: grow up? Um, I grew up, so I was born in England Mm. on the south coast of England, and then I moved to the south coast of Wales. Well, not the south coast, but the southern portion of Wales. Um, and lived in a very rural area. And then I moved to Cambridge. Um, and then I moved to London. But there's like... My parents are extremely liberal, and they were they were quite free-spirited. So we traveled a lot and moved around a lot. And yeah. I guess there was... Um, they, they kind of nailed it with giving me a completely rural countryside upbringing from like 5 to 13. Oh, interesting. Where anything is possible and you're a kid of the fields kind of dreaming and loving life. And then you get to 13, you're like, but I want to go to cinemas and I want to go and have a remote control car and drive it around in the car park. And like you want I guess, a more of an urban scenario. So they moved, we moved to Cambridge at that point, um, which is, I mean, it's kind of, it's a... A university city it's ex- it looks like hogwarts in a way it's like an extremely beautiful very very old city where everybody cycles it's like kind of amsterdam of the uk oh, so everyone is on bikes and um i lived there until i was like 18 and then i moved to london and then i'm always curious like what things
0: were you into when you were like a teenager like what kind of sports, or musics, or cultures? like so,
1: I mean, BMX was probably the yeah. first thing. Like, BMX was the thing that, when I think of my first ever memory, it was getting grounded for cycling to my friend's house. And I recently just got this little 16-inch BMX. And I, and I don't know how old I was. I, I imagine I was probably, like, seven or eight years old. And I cycled two miles out of my village through on a country lane to my friend's house Whoa. and when I arrived there I mean I was, it was like a 16 inch BMX with like tiny short little cranks and everything and it must have taken me a while but I, I arrived there and the, my friend's mum instantly called my parents and was just like what the hell Nico just arrived on a bike like what's he doing cycling over here so my parents came and picked me up and um, that was the first time I ever got grounded like I don't I don't think I ever got grounded ever again in fact but it was like I got in trouble, so I lived in Wales um, and had that kind of lifestyle with. And BMX was, I guess, my. I I wasn't aware of freestyle. Okay. It wasn't a thing. It was just like I guess the only thing I understood about BMX was ET.
0: Yeah. So
1: the guys on ET, and I was like, oh, I live in the countryside. We have little hills everywhere, so I'd start exploring and riding around with my friends. And then I guess I picked up a magazine at a friend's house. Oh, cool that was called Rad and it was a skateboarding magazine and I saw all these wooden structures and stuff. And, you know, there was pictures of BMXs in there too. So then every time we would go shopping in a town, I'd ask my parents to see if there was a uh, a skate park in the town, there was no internet or anything then. So we'd go to tourism, like information booths within the city and ask for skate parks. Um, So yeah, BMX has been there since day one. And then I guess, I guess I mean I was heavily involved in graffiti throughout my teenage years, and a lot of kids were as well. But I got to a point where um, I guess I, I was like I, I took it quite seriously, mm-hmm. and as painted. as people do. Yeah, um, but I painted with some really amazing painters, and I was always extremely subpar. Like the nerves always got the better of me, and. I could dream up these wonderful pieces, but ultimately in the like i just i'm pretty embarrassed actually like I was pretty terrible because I was always so nervous, but it was a thrill of it, and I spent a lot of time um going out at night and painting trains and having fun and kind of being a mischievous little fence climber.
0: did you have like a mentor at all in the graffiti world?
1: yeah, I mean there oh, may so yeah. yeah. Okay. I mean, because uh, you have mentors, but there's a specific way. And I don't know if I was like raised as a graffiti writer in the same way that others do. But you, you sure. have like elders, basically. You have people who know their way around and know. I mean, they, yeah, they. I guess they keep you motivated. They keep you awake because you know like you go to these older people's houses and they they have a lifestyle of an older person and you're just watching and kind of staying with them. And then at two a.m. you go out. They've been drinking the whole time. I'm just sitting there, like right. hanging out, waiting to like do something. And then you go out and they show you, and then they take your paint. And there's like a sort of tax because they take the paint and say, "Oh shit!" You stand dog, and then you have to stand and watch out for them. But you, then you graduate, and it's funny. Then you eventually start becoming someone who goes and paints themselves. But would technical.
0: those would those guys ever show you like 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 no, technical? It, like, it was never technical. Was no, more you, like, you were always
1: 100 expected to. Learn your own hand style and kind of get your own thing, and and that only comes through experience. It wasn't, it wasn't it, when I was painting. There wasn't there wasn't like legal walls. There was walls that the city would turn a blind eye to. Mm-hmm. But then every now and then, if they felt like clamping down on the graffiti that was appearing in the city, for instance, they would go to these little rural places that we were known to go and paint, like old disused train tunnels. And um, they would come and arrest you. So then a couple of times after being arrested, it's actually not a very fun and pleasant thing. And, you know, I'm still a teenager at that point. So my parents are having to come and collect me from the, the uh-huh. cell. And, yeah. you know, you you feel like you've let them down and everything gets a bit sketchy. So
0: Yeah, the like the lifestyle of graffiti is like super ill. It's super unhealthy. It's like... Yeah it's kind of like a lot of people outside of it, I don't think understand how it's kind of like fucked up. I mean, I guess the whole thing is fucked up really.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot to be said about the reason I did it. I can't speak Mm. for everybody, but there was like, I've always enjoyed solitude. Um, but I kind of, I guess I like to be lonely with other people. Like it, you, you need a small, I couldn't fit into the like major overall groups, even though I dabbled much in the same way I work now, I would dabble between them all. So I was like popular enough to like be able to speak, to, or, or not popular, but capable enough to speak yeah, yeah. Cool. to multiple different groups of people. But I was never, um, I never had the, the confidence To build upon that. So I would just like jump around. And a graffiti community, those people, uh, I mean, not, I shouldn't speak generally, but like we're kind of insular people. You're doing it for yourself. It's a very self-motivated thing. And you're only trying to speak to this other very small handful of people that you'll hang out with. You're not trying to convince the 50-year-old woman who lives in the neighborhood who hates graffiti. You're not trying to convince her that graffiti is cool right that's not your motive you're there to have a little mini competition with all your friends and um and gain a status it's like kind of like a pack of wolves it's like where do you sit in this group and i was way down at the bottom, but i was persistent and that gets you places
0: that's true (laughs) very true did you ever end up going to like a university or anything like that
1: I did. Yeah. So, um, I left school when I was 15 years old. And when all my friends went off to, to like college and then ultimately university, um, I, I just worked and rode BMX still. I was like, that was probably the, like, the crescendo. That was like a big time for me for BMX. It was like I, at 15, I left school and you know, the, I kind of left under bad terms. And my dad like still like blows my mind. But my my dad found out and my parents had to come down to the school and the teacher, you know, the head teacher was explaining why I was having to leave the school and and I remember my mum standing up and saying something and like standing up for me, right? Standing up in the teacher oh, and saying something to him and him saying, Well, if he was raised by you, no wonder he turned out like this. <laughs> you know, so we all walk out of the school and, and Nico's life begins at 15 and I'm like, all right, what are we going to do now? Kind of like freaking out thinking I'm in loads of trouble. And I was in trouble. I definitely got into trouble. Um, my parents, you know, explained the severity of what was happening and everything and like the, the reasons this will have implications in the future. But they also focused on the fact that I was enjoying BMX and I was having a lot of time spent going to skate parks and jams Never really competed, but it was always like prominent jams. And I had like a, a network of people there. And they said, well, you're good at this thing. So let's like put you into this. And my dad bought me a brand new BMX. Wow. So I upgraded from like the, it was a GT Performer. At the time, I had a GT Performer. And then he upgraded me to a heavy tools ruler. Wow. And it, uh, it was a legit kind of like model up proper, proper BMX. And so then I basically poured my heart into that. Until I was about like, seventeen or eighteen, and lived in a van and sort of not in a van, but like travelled around couching like
0: mm-hmm. tour kind couch of stuff. surfing, yeah,
1: <laughs> sleeping in vans overnight at jams and stuff. And then, um, yeah, then I then I realised I kind of wanted to maybe go to school, art school, because I was still painting the whole time, and I had made little zines and I was going to ask you that t-shirts and stuff and. Quite embarrassingly that my little kind of brand name then was Freelance. <laughs> oh sick. Freelance Zim, yeah. Freelance t-shirt. Um, I used to like paint people's BMXs for them and well mainly just paint their forks but because it was easier I didn't want to do any masking on bottom brackets and stuff.
0: Oh yeah or like
1: taking the whole bike apart and yeah, then, so then you're just probably, young. the stuff back then it was like you know big old ratchets and 44 tooth earrings and everything was dirty and oily. And it was, you know, it's not like now. VNX is now like cynical. Dude. Oh, actually, I think it's kind of funny how I see
0: this through a lot of people, like when they're in their teenage years and even younger, a lot of the things that kids do, they kind of end up doing like throughout their lives. And at more, like, professional levels, because we grow up and we have all all this experience. But do you ever kind of trip on that? Like, making zines, different cultures, painting bikes. I'm like, it sounds like what you're doing
1: right now. (laughs) I do. I think that there's, there's like, especially now that, so I've only just recently found out, I mean, recently, 26 weeks ago, we're having our first baby. So that's enough to make me think, all right, now you've got to start being an adult. And because I'm doing exactly what I used to do when I was 14, 15 years old, minus some of the like self-destructive stuff. But all of the creative stuff, I, it is the same. And um, sometimes it makes you question whether or not... Like, have I just made it an easy life for myself? Is there another option? Should I go out and do something else? And, I, and my gut says no.
0: Great, but, good.
1: But when you look around and you see your friends i guess who have got this other entirely different lifestyle it's like wow it's it's quite um it's quite shocking that i'm still doing what i'm doing at 14
0: yeah but i think that's i i think you're doing like exactly what you need to be doing it's i almost want to say you're more in tune with what you should be doing than maybe someone else who has like material wealth
1: but like just no i mean i'm not talking about material wealth because like I'm not I'm not specifically talking about that. I'm saying I think it's more in the sense that's like, although this isn't my hobby, and the reason I don't get full on in these different like subcultures we were talking about before is because the thing that you have tunnel vision for, which is clearly cycling, the thing I have tunnel vision for is painting, and right. that is the main thing. So it drags me between all these different subcultures, but I every day that's all I can think about, and that kind of. Uh, I I wouldn't call it a hobby. But when people say, oh, make your hobby a job and you'll never work a life in your day. uh, No, that's right. No, no, you had it. What I I think the problem is, is then you don't have the, uh, the escape. So you're creating art on a deadline continuously for commercial clients. It makes it very difficult to then make any work for yourself personally and you need that. You need to find that balance because Mm. otherwise your art will start to stagnate. And I think you need to have the ability to go between clients and have pause periods where you can develop new ideas, new techniques, experiment with things. And if you don't have that, then your work just becomes repetitive and it just feels like a job. So the opposite idea of that would be to if I was to become a groundskeeper for instance, Mm. driving around on a lawnmower pruning trees and enjoying an outside lifestyle. So something that I've always been accustomed to as a child, just being outside. And then on my weekends, because my life is a little less stressful, I can actually paint and paint for myself because I rarely paint for myself.
0: Do you, so even nowadays you rarely paint for yourself?
1: I mean, everything comes from me. So clients never dictate what I'm painting. Um, so it is all for myself and I have a sense of ownership over everything, but I pretty much, it's all transactional. So non-transactional, um, non-transactional art that I create for myself is few and far between maybe three or four pieces a year that I would keep.
0: And then do you have like a drive to make more, I love the term non-transactional, Wow. Okay. This gets interesting. Do you, okay. Do you have a, do you feel like there's a pull to make more non-transactional work, like personal work for yourself? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. And almost like a, like you're kind of wanting to push other things aside to prioritize that a bit. Yeah. And then within the, like the experience, the time experience of making that personal work in your head, are you thinking like finished pieces or are you just thinking this chunk of time to just, Be that's just like free make time, so it's just like an hour, a day, a month that I just can do whatever I want. But that doesn't necessarily mean that there's going to be a finished product to it. Uh,
1: Yeah, yeah. I think there's a there's a bit of both. I think that the one thing that I can't adapt to is the allocating of one hour here and there. You know, it's not like for sure I need that time for experimenting. I need the time to. Develop the concept in the first place. Okay. So I need freedom from responsibility to be able to go uh, and find the idea wherever that comes, like riding a bike or having a bath. So interesting. Um, that that's one freedom I would look for.
0: Okay, wait. Let me. <laughs> let, I want to interrupt you for a second. So couldn't you find? The, so you're saying that the the idea, the concept, the 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 seed to mm-hmm. the the personal work, you find it in all these different things. Couldn't you just let those seeds come to you through daily life doing whatever you're doing and then like note them down as they, as they like, you I know. guess
1: that's what, I guess that's how I function currently. Okay. And I have a curiosity as to whether um, the concepts would have more validity if I paused to let them kind of gestate a little longer. It's can like, you can expand? pull a seed, you yeah. can pull a seed out of the ground quite early and eat it. If you leave it longer, it will ultimately become a larger piece of fruit. So I'm like, you know, you can eat a sunflower seed, but let's see if we can grow the sunflower. Like I would love to be allowed to find the time to develop a concept to the level of a sunflower.
0: How does that look? Like I'm lightly
1: lost in the metaphor. Say again? Escaping to Alaska. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be cool to have like a just a like a studio retreat in Alaska, but yeah, or have have a father. That's not going to happen anytime soon, ever,
0: ever. <laughs> um, yeah, like it sounds like a, an artist in residency would be like really healthy for you, yeah, or something. Like
1: cool, to... But but then I'm also a creature of comfort, you know. I can't, I couldn't do an artist residency because I would need to take everything I live with. Mm-hmm. I just need to pause the earth. If I could pause the earth and keep my, my, my loved ones unpaused, that would be the perfect scenario. Because I can't work if I'm switched off from my wife or life. And I have email anxiety. I need to stay on top of emails. <laughs> totally. Text anxiety. <laughs> Clients think that they can contact you via text.
0: Yeah, uh, well, and it sounds like it's a perfect world the client thing would probably be part of that pause. You'd be like, "That's over there." Then you can just focus on this, on these yeah. projects. Um, I am still curious of, is it, is it about the finished piece or is it about the focus of, like, to be able to focus on a? I guess we could say a body of work that is just, maybe it's just purely from you or it's not tied to commerce. There's, is it that there's no expectation like. What's the draw of... Well, the
1: only reason my work is tied to commerce is because of a the paycheck. There is no uh, control aesthetically. Like, people only ever My client list is probably a little um, more trimmed down than others. Like, I've been working commercially, I guess, for 10 years or so. So mine might be a little shorter than others because I always, I turn away work if they're trying to of oh, style. That's so awesome. So, I've I've only ever made my stuff. So, the only tie to it is the money. So, if we took the money away, then we create a new problem. Like, where am I getting the money from? But what comes with the money is deadlines. So, what I really just want to get rid of is deadlines and have the money. But I have pieces. Sorry, sorry. was trying to say something. Yeah. No. no I was going to finish off by saying I have pieces that. I've sat in my studio for almost two years before I finished them. Okay. Uh, that creates a sense of anxiety and guilt that I owe someone something.
0: So is it the deadline? Does the deadline help or hurt? It hurts. But then if you don't have a deadline? It takes two years. <laughs> or maybe
1: never? Yeah, maybe never. Sometimes never. Actually, yeah, sometimes never, which is bad. But I've become a little more conscious of the the times that it has become never and I've now upped my productivity levels so that I am finishing pieces and still getting them out even though they sometimes come out a little later and my justification is if I look at my work two years ago I believe I've progressed so ultimately they're getting something better than they would have done
0: oh wait just because I almost don't understand this well, it's,
1: it, it's more, I guess it's more
0: finessed. Is it just because you're doing it? It's basically the volume thing. Like it, it, producing it is, is it's almost like putting another brick in the wall opposed to just never producing it. Cause then you're never putting the time and the focus into making work so you can't build off of it. Is that comprehended? It's kind, yeah, it's <laughs> kind of,
1: it's kind of that. And I think also just as time goes by, I learn new techniques. Like, the the type of painting that I do is very specific to techniques that are considered more um, industrial.
0: Sure. Enamel.
1: Yeah, enamel paints and solvent-based paints.
0: They're used to being, like, touched and used.
1: They have to be be resilient to a lot more. Yeah. So... Like, I do create flat work for homes and and canvases and whatnot. And it's, it's like, it is very pleasurable to, to make those. But typically, my work appears on objects. And those objects get used. So you have to take that into consideration. And that is part of what I enjoy. It's like a multi-layered process. So there is the design element. But then there's also the kind of, like, the anal OCD planning of every stage. And only up until recently have I believed that I'm actually at a At a place where my stuff is pretty solid. There are things that I painted in 2015 that are probably a little worn out by now.
0: As far as like um, uh, longevity or whatever?
1: Yeah, general usage. You you can imagine if you paint your bike and you don't clear coat it and then your knees are rubbing on the top tube every day, that's um, eventually going to wear away.
0: For sure. Yeah, I mean, even if it's clear coat too, it depends on the scenario.
1: Yeah, or if you're wearing jeans, but then also if you're riding in jeans, you're crazy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, in the summer, especially. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for me, it was always worse because I you know, I lived in London where it rains all the time. Right. So that, that seam on the inside, everyone gets salvaged jeans and they want this cool dark indigo blue thing. And then they, the seam on the inside, you take your trousers off after the rain and your, your entire legs are blue.
0: Blue legs.
1: Yeah. <laughs> easy to get, you
0: know, yeah and then some of that shit doesn't stretch too which is
1: fucking brutal on a bike oh my god i uh, just i can't i can't actually wear stretchy stuff i have something against it yeah
0: <laughs> i want to make like a comfort joke like nico versus comfort
1: <laughs> yeah i mean i wear i i, I mean I, I do wear bibs but i wear them underneath yeah 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 like shorts same same with body and body uh, insecurities. I mean, I,
0: that one can go a bunch of ways because it's also like um, civilian looking. Like you don't have to, I don't know. It's, I, I wear over shorts I all the time.
1: Yeah, I don't want to put myself onto others. I guess I can <laughs> wear, I'm totally fine. Or else they just don't want other people to have to deal with it. Like, I don't like it when guys wear sweatpants and they don't wear any underwear underneath. And you see this little thing, like, tapping around. Like, that's, it's cool for him. But for me, it's not cool. It's the same reason I wear a mask, you know? Like, I'm, I'm wearing a mask to stop myself coming onto you.
0: Right, it's like protecting so I others.
1: I feel a little, like, exposed. Like, you have to deal with this. I'm comfy. You can deal with it. And that's not fair
0: that is hilarious um, oh did you people who wear it. Did, did you ever work in a sign painter shop no wow that did uh, you ever
1: want to um i guess i was curious about it i what i did was um i approached a couple of guys who were living in london so like my story after school being i left school 15 um, Spent his life as a BMX kind of bum, scooting around England going to different skate parks and stuff See. and then moving to London I did a foundation degree so I didn't have any um, qualifications so I didn't have any degree uh, you know, exams or anything so getting into an art school was difficult but I knew I wanted to get into an art school but they, they were very strict and regimented about how you got in there so I had to go to a smaller university on the outskirts of London Where they did a thing called a foundation course and you did a little bit of everything then. Um, At the time I was like really much more interested in architecture and really wanted to get into that stuff. I really liked the, I liked drawing architecture but that led me into a university degree and I was going to do fine art. I went to this cool university and it wasn't a pretentious London art school but it was within London and it felt to me like I was going through a massive obs- like, obsession at 21 years old of the Bauhaus. And I went into this art school and I was like, holy shit, I'm allowed to use the fine art studio, the woodworking studio, the screen printing studio, the reprographics center, Six. like everything as a graphic design student. But if you're a fine art student, you're not allowed to go into the screen printing session unless it's part of your you know, semester curriculum. Okay. So I was like, all right, I'm going to do graphic design. I didn't know what it was. I thought it was like designing titles for TV. And I never used a computer. I didn't own one. And I got in there. It was just like a full three years of just analog experience. And although some of my classmates were, were using computers predominantly, I was mixing with the tutors more because I was a mature student. I was 21. Although right. that's not mature. It's still everyone else was 18. Right. I'd had a different path into it, so I'd kind of done all the partying, a relationship, didn't need to do that part of university. So I just was like full on nerd alert, obsessed and dove in. And the the tutors recognized that. And these guys were all like practicing designers at the the time. They weren't just people who'd been in academia their whole lives. So these guys were like, oh, this is cool. I go to the, I make these art books, and we go to this art book fair in South London. You should join us. So then I started binding and, like, letterpress. This guy, he taught me how to do all the old letterpress, and he had a Heidelberg machine still there. And then the screen printing guy called Andrew wasn't much older than me, but also, like, wrote BMX and was, like, hanging out in the same part. of East London. So we he taught me all these screen printing techniques and stuff, and he was a the technician there, so he'd let me in out after hours. So I had this like really cool thing, and you know the briefs there, they're trying to present to you like a brief like you're going to be creating this for a cell phone company. This is your marketing campaign. This is how you have to answer it, and stuff. And everyone there was just using their computers and making vector posters, right? Mm-hmm. I would go into the woodworking studio and get a piece of wood, cut it out, screw some lights onto it, take it over to the screen printing studio, screen print it, take it into the photographic studio, photograph it. Print it out of the Reber Graphics Center. Take a photograph of myself holding it, and then present that as this like bus shelter campaign, for instance. Sick. And I guess that carried through all the way to my um, graduation show, and I did an exhibition. And you know, I was I got a good degree, and people noticed at the graduation thing. So then I started getting job offers. Oh wow! Um, but they, they, you know they weren't significant. There was just it was always like recognize your level. You're a junior designer. Do this, do that. So I had opportunities to then go and start working in places, and I quickly realized like within a matter of months, like graduate and then summer month exploring this work industry that I'm getting into graphic design. Everyone just sat in these like poncy, like annoying computer offices with like you know, an annoying beanbag for if you want to chill out. Right. And I turn up with my pencil case and a cutting mat, and they'd be like, what's that? And I'm like, well, this is how I make stuff. And they're like, why do you have, like, your laptop's over there. Like, send that PDF to that guy, and, and can you just cut that out? And then I'm like, oh, man, I really don't belong in this world. Right. So I, um, I rented, like, a large warehouse with a couple of friends and set up a design studio as it were, it was just, I mean, I slept under my table, so it wasn't a design yeah. studio. So the rest of the world, it was a design studio. Just <laughs> where the name Ornamental Conifer came from. Um, oh, yeah. You know, it was I didn't want to present myself as as Nikolai Slater. I felt like my spelling was awkward, but also um, I wanted to sort of present myself as a design studio. So I pretended that this was the name, and you are you were being signed up from a guy called Nico who works at Ornamental Conifer. Love it. Um, and it was an ambiguous name that wasn't like directly related to any industry specifically, so I could send emails to anyone, I'd be like, dope. hey, I have to do some type design for your magazine. And Like yes. we at Ornamental Conifer have a handful of people who can create analog type.
0: This um, that's sick.
1: So yeah, that was kind of where it came from. And then, um, how did this question start? What was, we were talking just about... Sign painter, sign painter. Okay, so yeah, so that led me in hand-painted type
0: for magazines. I was doing a lot of that.
1: So wait,
0: at- were you doing hand-painted type, like, up to this point? Or, like, we are kind of... Weird. Well, it, it, this is just a continuation of graffiti. So I was right. terrible at drawing. Oh, anything and in. I mean brush, I guess, but great point. Great point.
1: Yeah, so I I... Was terrible at drawing my entire life, and I've always focused on lettering. So book covers were always the thing I drew. I never drew the illustrations. I draw the title of the comic book. So it was always like lettering was all I could do. Um, Wait, then, I, I got a, I got a question
0: on the lettering. What is it that you love about lettering? Like,
1: be, I guess I, yeah. I just want to make it, I want to say something. So my parents are like oh. writers. My dad's a my dad's a poet, and my mum's an author, and. Oh. I've always and I I grew up, you know, my favorite era of music is hip hop from '94 to '96, mm-hmm. both so, in the UK and in America. More so also in the UK because I could relate to the people rapping about standing at the bus shelter in the rain waiting to go to work. But there was a story. There was a, it was it was built upon a narrative, which is different now. So it was a, a narrative that had a punchline, and I really liked that. So that was really why I wanted to. Like continue with lettering, so I wanted to create visual punchlines for people. Love it. Um, and and it's you know I think that that for me was just the natural kind of way to get into stuff was to learn lettering techniques. So mm. sight painting, I noticed it because of people like um, Margaret Kilgallen and Stephen Powers. Like I was aware of the the beautiful losers, and I saw them making stuff, and I'd suddenly. Tied these two things together and be like, hang on, I use spray cans for that stuff. Or I draw it meticulously with like a Sharpie and a little pen. And I know sign painting through them. So then I was like, oh, I have access to this in my city. I wonder if I could go and find an old sign painter who would teach me because there was nothing else available. It wasn't like nowadays, there's all these like things happening, groups and classes and whatnot, but they're just replicating historical signage. There are very few of them and there are there are some that I follow who I think are brilliant at modernizing it, but the majority of people just kind of creating a pastiche of the past and that's not what I was interested in at all. I wanted to modernize it.
0: Just like tattoo does. Both of those cultures do the same thing. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, exactly. Just just interesting. Yeah, you look at the kind of, um, fuck, what was that guy's name? Sailor Jerry. That um, yeah, stuff and how it's that—that yeah. that is like in the sign painting world or within motorsports so you've got Ed Roth and Von Dutch. Yeah, and they're striping and they have this sort of weirdo character, the rat think and everything like that. <clears throat> there's a huge group of people who learn to sign paint because they want to keep creating that.
0: Interesting.
1: Which is fine, but that's not what I wanted to do. Right. I wanted to do something completely different. I was like, hey, have you guys seen the Bauhaus? These guys are really cool. Right. We should do some other stuff. So I did, I guess that's where I took it. And then the sign painters were like, nah, you know, we're not going to teach you. I believe it was just purely because they didn't want any competition at the time. Mm. Very scarce. And there was a lot of new barbershops coming. Suddenly people had all these twizzly moustaches and there was baristas everywhere. And everyone wanted a hand painted sign. Uh And these old guys were raking it in all of a sudden. Because the vinyl world had taken over during the 90s. It was early 2000 and all these dudes who were like old alcoholics, who were like, fuck, no, I'm not teaching you how to be my competitor. Right. But uh, one of them who lived on a canal boat, and he used to paint canal boats. In England, all the canal boats have beautiful sign painting on them. He gave me a book. Oh, sick. So I learned what from What was that? that? You remember? <sighs> no, I think it was probably just a guide to sign painting. Totally. <laughs> it's, like it's like a Xerox thing, like... <laughs> Yeah, it, no, it was a little like uh, nine inch by nine inch, well thumbed, soft back, um, very, you know, rudimentary photography posed, everything and like just oh, cool. it basically just told you what materials you needed. Because I didn't know where to start. I had acrylics and spray paints and right. stuff. I didn't know about squirrel hair or ox hair and sable brushes and enamel and thinners and Palettes and how you load your brush because it's all those little techniques that yes. people get screwed on when they start because they're like, oh, I saw you're using one shot and I got the brush and I went like this and I went like that. And it's like, well, one of the, first of all, that's the wrong brush. Second of all, you haven't loaded the brush correctly. Third, you need to thin it. Fourth, the surface needs to be prepped." And that's that kind of stuff I was saying about earlier. It's like the OCD kind of element of preparation and finish is what I've become more obsessed with. As my career has developed,
0: do you are you do you find your, yourself enjoying that prep work?
1: Yeah, oh, but yeah. I also i i i sometimes i sometimes kind of like farm it out to other people too.
0: Just based on I'm, time,
1: based on time, but also um, experience. Like knowing that if something is if something requires like a little more finesse than I can deliver, I'm willing to pay someone who's been doing it for years rather than assuming i can do it i'm good at one bit of it right i'm only like mediocre at that uh so i don't want to make sure i want to make sure that people who are spending money with me get something beautiful and sometimes that requires asking for help
0: yeah which is that's professional too instead of just like yeah the product can suffer otherwise you know yeah yeah there's Interesting. So then, so the book kind of got you going with just the fundamentals. And then from there you were able, did you just start practicing it? Like, like loading up, like, you know, horizontals, half
1: circles, like the whole thing. I mean, I think I learned quite um, rapidly just on the job. Like oh shit. Uh, the first ever sign I created was for my neighbor and um, she was a hairstylist. And she'd seen that I was good at drawing stuff. She, We both lived in warehouses side by side, so there was a sense of community and, and, and socializing that occurred. Sick. And she would like hang out and she would look at my drawing table and my studio and be like, oh, can you make me a sign? And I said, sure. And I I, I made it with you know acrylics and wood and it was all terrible and whatnot. But, it was at that point that I was starting to learn. I had the book at that point, but I hadn't managed to get hold of the equipment. So I was like, oh, uh. I think I've got this. I understand the layout principle. I know that I get my jigsaw and I can cut this wood out. And you know, I draw this thing, uh, and then I can transfer it onto a piece of paper because you know, I rub the back of it with my pencil, and then I transfer my pencil drawing onto a piece of paper, and I just follow the lines." Smoke a joint, followed the lines. That's all I did. Um, and then I ended up marrying that woman. She oh was, shit! Got, we got into a relationship, and I married her. But the uh, the the work was consistent from day one, and I didn't have a clue what I was doing. And so many people, I undersold myself massively. I think people were aware of the fact I was clueless, but were like, "This is a cheaper option." which is, a bad, uh, is it a bad way to conduct business because these other old guys who could have taken work, you know, I feel I shouldn't have done that. But I also just wasn't confident enough to know what I should have charged because they have never told me. Like right. I, I asked to be an apprentice to multiple people, an apprentice, like an unpaid apprentice. Yes. But they said no. No. Yeah. So I just went out there and started offering my services and it was through word of mouth and I would end up painting these signs and I'd be learning and like a sign that would take a professional like half a day would take me five days right i'd be back there every day in the snow with my ladder like getting up there and finishing little bits off wow um so it just kind of went on and i learned on the job and i think that it's been that way ever since like i'm only just learning now properly how to clear code stuff 10 years later wait you wouldn't necessarily would you have clear-coded those signs I mean, I think probably some of them would have needed a little more finish than I would have done. So not clear coat with an automotive like two-part solvent-based clear coat, but at least uh, a yacht varnish. Like the chances are, I was finishing stuff with, you know, interior gloss or interior matte water-based urethane. Oh, this.
0: So this wasn't enamel
1: at this point. It was enamel, but it's more about the flecks of the wood. So there was different pieces of wood, and I was screwing bits of wood onto metal awnings, and, you know, just... I was making the signs as well. I wasn't just turning up and painting onto stuff.
0: Got it. Like, the whole thing. Yeah. Dude, and then you start... Do you have to get into, like, anchoring shit into Masonite... Or masonry? Oh, my God.
1: Cantilevered things? Oh, my God. I had no idea what I was doing, but... (laughs) I winged it and I gave it a go, and it was it was a lucrative career for a twenty four year old.
0: It was fun. Yeah, which is perfect too, because essentially you were paid to learn, which yeah. is the way to do it instead
1: of paying to learn. Yeah, I mean, I still paid to learn. I still owe the government in the UK quite a lot of money for, for school. Yeah. Yeah, because I maxed out on everything, and I was like, I wanted, I asked for it all, because. My parents were in a position to help, and I was adamant that I wanted to do this thing. And I was like, "All right,
0: I yeah. guess I just take everything." Well, it sounds like you did the best version. Like you interacted with university like better than most people, because you were like older and like hungry to learn this stuff, trying yeah. all the different. It sounds like it literally just like pulled, rolled you right onto the path that you're on
1: now. No, I was really lucky with the resources that I had at hand. And I know that the university's changed now. And you look at other people's educations, um, specific schools have kind of just crumbled now. But yeah, it was really good being able to learn everything and 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 have the freedom to like use it as your studio. That's where I learned about studio life. And I learned about motivation and productivity and because the university is like you could stay late but you definitely were getting kicked out before eleven PM. But you could get there at six and someone was someone had opened up, you know, and you could like get in at six AM and sort of like help do some stuff and then be printing at seven AM. And that's when a lot of my friends were just getting home, you know, they were like, Whoa man And I was like, all right, please, I'm gonna go screen print like an edition of fucking sick posters and then this this evening when we all go to the pub together, I'm going to hand those things out and sick. it's going to be sick and you're just going to be hung up. So yeah. Yeah. I was really motivated to work as hard as I could. Which is also like kind of one of the
0: magic elements to, you know, I guess I would say being an artist is you have to be self-motivated. Like you can't, yeah. there's, there's no other way. Cause no one's, if you're waiting for teachers or assignments to force you into making something, it's like, yeah, there's, where's the room for progression in that?
1: I know there's a lot of people have a strangely negative idea, and they're like, "Oh, you're not a lazy artist." And I'm like, if, if you know of an artist, if you know of them, they're not lazy. Like right. These, well, there's Correct. a lot of work going on, and and it's more than you imagine. So, people come to my studio, or they they see my you know my routine and see how consistently I'm working. They're like, Oh wow, that's so impressive. I'm like, everyone is like this. Anyone that is capable of producing work has to put a lot of time in. And the idea of the like I lived in East London full surrounded by trust fund kids who claim to be artists. And I'd be like, Well, you know, what have you shown this year? Right. Or like, what are you working on? Or can I see your studio? And it was like, Oh no, you know, I I sort of I have this like weird horn I blow and I just do ketamine and like I'm like yeah. You're not an artist, right? Um, so you've got to be motivated, and um, and I like it. it just keeps it definitely. I, I, I enjoy being physical with my work, I enjoy feeling tired at the end of the day, but I keep kind of regular office hours, really. You know, like I'm in the studio at 7 a.m., 8 a.m., um, or I'm cycling to the studio, I make sure that I ride in every day. Um, but I'm home by six or seven and yeah. in bed by yes,
0: nine, yeah, um, totally yeah similar schedule for me too i mean to me it's about the consistency like weird wacky hours they like it's not consistent it like fucks you up like i'm not gonna stay up super late and then get up and just like it needs to be kind of regimented for it to it's efficiency you
1: have a constant outpouring if you are sporadic with your ideas and your motives then i guess that's why you get those urges to like oh man, this is happening right now, like I'm feeling it, I have to put my time into it. But I I guess I have such a backlog of ideas that I can't indulge in those moments, those sporadic moments of impulsive creation. I have to just be like, okay, well, this is just gonna sadly get put to the back of the list, but I'll get there as long as I keep on this steady path, like I do work through all of my ideas. Whereas some people who don't have many ideas and only get one a year, they're like, wow, Two months solidly, I stayed up all night, every night, and focused on this thing and created it. And then the rest of the year, I took off and was just relaxing. Because I'm like consistent. I know that 365 days of the year, I will be making something off this list that I've created.
0: Is it like an actual list? Or is it just like things floating in your head? It's, it's many
1: actual lists. Like, there are multiple versions of that list oh. in formats all over the place. But predominantly... Um, just you know scraps of paper lying around like this and is it just like ideas
0: or like is it like finished things or a mix of all of it
1: um it's ideas it's it's like narratives it's um techniques like coming out with techniques and being like so use a sponge for this then do a dry wet coat, of, uh, a dry roller coat of this, then apply a wet coat. And like I write out the, the things. Because my right. I work, I can't, I can't draw a technique. So I have to think about a technique literally and then write it out. So a lot of my lists are just weird, sort of like, oh, I wonder what would happen if I touched this with that.
0: Yeah, interesting. So, uh, and um, then are your lists, uh, are they all like, in one place, or is it like ones here, ones there? D- 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 All over the place.
1: Yeah. I have a little that. pocket-sized sketchbook that I carry around in my pocket, and then one in my backpack, and then I have—I just have stacks of like paper that sit it's around, ready to be to be scribbled on. Uh, recently, in the last two months, since since becoming a dad, I thought I should learn how to work spreadsheets. So I got a spreadsheet <laughs> thing on my laptop, and now I put some of my notebooks into there. Then I put some notes in my phone. So like once or twice a month, I'll have like a review day and I'll go back through. Sometimes I just write really long calendar invites of like something that I think is going to be really good. And I type it in my calendar or I'll email it to myself. Like it's all over. It's in every single place. So then I'll have a day where I'll, I'll, I'll bring those all together and try and like finalize it and get it into a master list. And then there's like That's a whole smart. wall up here full of smaller notes and they're the they refined they're the priorities ah okay
0: i like that so uh that's a missing link for me is to prioritize a day to consolidate all the ideas and then you you basically like filter them you get yeah. hundred and then you're like oh there's actually like three good ones in here Yeah, yeah and then those you'll put up on like that is a fucking good tip
1: but That's you also need to go back through, so don't discard the ones at the oh. time were bad ideas. You need to once or twice a stage. year. Like I'm currently in an archiving stage I've just got a storage unit, so I'm putting a lot of my stuff from my studio together and, and, and dating it and putting it into boxes and storing it. Um, and I'm realizing that it's also extremely valuable to go through some of those discarded ideas, or hmm. mainly for me, techniques, but going through them again so i think you need to do a regular kind of cleanse of notes and then once a year you need to have a real dive, like a deep dive into uh just looking at everything that'll take you a week or two that's
0: a good point too interesting huh so do you think that does your like if you had this uh magical moment to pause stuff and or or just whatever making personal work for you does it look completely different than uh like a commercial work
1: i think so i think i want to be a little more sculptural with my stuff awesome totally like a
0: different medium like a different just like a chance to just try different things
1: well i like applying my work onto objects, which is why I learned about these different, like enamel is perfect to put onto glass, onto ceramic, onto brick, onto plastic, so that's why I learned how to use enamel. I like spray paint because, you know, I learned you could paint trains with these things. You can cover in, like, enormous surfaces, cars the same, and longevity, so I, I, I think that I still will use all of the same paint techniques that I use, but I want to apply them onto surfaces that I create. Mm, so oh, I'd cool. love to be able to form large pieces of fiberglass, you know, like my version of, um, I mean, I guess set making, when they make the large sort of scenes. like I want to create large, like over, like it's it's very important. I think my work is seen in scale. So it doesn't always work in a photograph and it doesn't work when it's kind of drawn down to, to a screen size. Because they're on like 3D convex surfaces, you need to be able to walk around them. And I would love to present work that was the same, you know, anamorphous volume as a car, but it right. wasn't.
0: Right. And that's exactly what I keep thinking is like vehicle, like big size, three dimensional, like.
1: If you imagined a, a car was in an inflatable And you kept blowing it and blowing it and blowing it. I would like to paint it at the point just before that inflatable popped. So it still (laughs) had similar proportions to the car. You could still kind of see a resemblance, but it was at its extreme before it actually became a flat object. So I would like to paint something. I would like to be able to make something like that out of fiberglass, carbon fiber, aluminum, something. But I don't have yeah. the capabilities of doing that.
0: Yeah, and then that totally gets into this whole other tool set, knowledge base, space, which is fine, but that you know, I know you understand the, <laughs> the well, ramifications. If,
1: if that's why I'm learning how to pass off some of the, the I'm like for oh. instance the last two years I've learned how to pass off prep and finish to other people if I'm looking for a specific quality maybe I just need to start working with somebody who is able to create those things, but I don't even have the time to develop the idea to ask them. Like if I'm going to ask them to make something, I can't rely on them just to know what I'm talking about. I have right. to somehow physically model that and show it to yeah. them. And I'm not a computer-based guy, so I can't do it on there. I would have to make a small maquette Interesting. of thoughts and then pass it to them and be like, scale this up in bronze, Fuck. Um, that's so sick. I can't do that. It. It's difficult.
0: Huh. I noticed that, uh, it, I don't know if this is always true, but you don't use a mall stick. You're like no, always I, use- I think it's
1: because I'm left handed. I don't know if that's true, but I feel like it always caused a big problem because the paint was wet on the left hand side. So if you go from one oh, direction to like the other, you're like in it. Right? So. If you paint normally, you would paint and you would write, you know, from the left to the right. Right. And as, as a left-handed person, it means you're always leaving a wet piece of paint behind you, and a mahl stick holding it on your right hand, it would touch it there. But any uh, anyone who's ever watched me paint, I predominantly paint from the back of the word to the front end. Oh. That's genius. That's the way to do it. Because I'm like, well, this isn't going to touch anything. But yes. the stroke and the motion that the milestick allows you to exaggerate only really works if you're going that way.
0: Oh, interesting. So to hold it, yeah.
1: and the kick of the brush comes from the, the angle that you're holding your wrist at. And it will kick up to the right much better than it would kick up to the left. So if I'm working backwards, it even it causes a problem. So I created a, you know a tripod system where my two pinkies touch the surface, and then I hold the brush here, so then I've got stability like that. That's tight. Well, so and then Yeah, you put your two thumbs together, like that, and then you hold your brush in this hand, like that. You've got a brush, and then these two pinkies touch the surface. A then you've got three points on the surface at all time, and you can- Oh, yeah. You still have to be careful with smudging things.
0: <laughs> smudging is, yeah. <laughs> huh, That's and that's, you don't need a, any other, oh, I forgot my fucking, like, that one's cool, because it's like, hopefully you always have your hands. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah, I got to see, I guess I made some a list of notes. Um,
1: oh, do you have a car? I do have a car, yeah. Did you paint, have you painted it? No. Uh, <laughs> No, I have a 1995 uh, Range Rover. Why not something? Like a little something? Nah, I I don't really tend to paint my own stuff. Why? Why not? I don't know. I'm going to paint my bike. I've just got a new bike that I'm going to paint. I just gave it over to Hearn from um, manufacturing to do a little bit of carbon work on it. But I'm going to paint that.
0: How are you going to, is it going to be brush or spray? A mixture. Oh, cool.
1: Probably more spray. I'm just trying, I've only ever painted one bike before. I've painted a lot of bikes, but really I've only ever painted one. And I love it so much, I just want to recreate it.
0: (laughs) The one that you did?
1: Yeah, the one I did, and I gave it to somebody. And then I, that's, I mean, it was a job. I gave it back to them. I didn't just give it to them. Right,
0: right, right, (laughs) right.
1: Yeah, I mean I ownership on my work. I, they didn't have any say in it, so to me, it's my bike, and I'm just giving it to them. <laughs> <laughs> and they leave this nice little pile of
0: paper for you, which is <laughs> never hurts. Yeah,
1: um, but no, I, uh, I don't. I haven't painted my own car. Um, I painted my own motorcycle. I, I've,
0: I've seen that. That thing is bonkers. Yeah. I, I, I actually didn't know that you painted that, but I assumed it. So. Yeah, just confirm that. Yeah, I've
1: cool. had a couple of bikes that I've painted and leather jackets and stuff, but now my my I guess I'm just a little more incognito now. I used to want, I used to, I used to wear Hawaiian shirts. Now I just wear black t-shirts. <laughs> and it's like I used to want people to look at me. Now I'm like, oh, <laughs> don't look at me. Leave me alone. What uh,
0: what kind of bike did you get that you're gonna paint?
1: it's uh, it's a Cervelo Espera.
0: And is that, I don't know, that model is a road frame?
1: The gravel bike.
0: Oh, it is gravel. Oh, sick. Yeah. It's their, like,
1: their gravel bike.
0: Sick. Uh, what size tires you got sitting over there?
1: 650Bs. Oh, no, those ones are 700Cs. Oh, uh,
0: what's going on, what's going on with Cervelo? The,
1: the one on the, the Cervelo is going to be 650B. How big? I don't know yet. Like uh-huh. so, I ride thirty eights on my bike on my Cannondale, and then these are forties, and I like forties. And then I was like, "Well, what's the point? Why did I get six fifty b wheels to run forties on them? Like I gotta go bigger,
0: bigger, right?"
1: But I don't know. I'm I'm new to this, man. Like thirty eight was a stretch for me. I was like, I know. Oh, look how chunky this guy is." I know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm probably gonna end up with two inch tires or something. <laughs> yeah. There's a, I,
0: I actually think that, like, a 45 to a 47 is, like, a, kind of a nice... It really depends on what you ride, like, what the terrain is.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's probably 70% road and 30% gravel, and that's the thing. It's such a It's such a disproportionate amount of gravel, because I live in Los Angeles, and there's so much around. But I have to ride... I, I only get allocated slots to ride it. Right. So it's not like long time so what i do is i exploit the fact that i can cycle to work i only live 10 miles away from my studio oh that's perfect I that's cycle a, that's to work strife. every day yeah and, that's great and but then that means i'm i'm riding straight up venice boulevard that's all it is so the yeah. 38 is pretty good because the potholes are shit right but then if i do go on a trail like up in the canyons or whatever they can handle it yeah enough, as yeah. long as it's just a fire road but i really want to Go there's a ride I want to do so, and also I like little chubby tires. Yeah, <laughs> little six fifty feet chubby tires. I just like plunge them out on them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and
0: it's fun to just try all the different like see how this feels with this pressure and these tires and like. I,
1: yeah, I I've think never that's done awesome. it before, so I'm doing it out of curiosity. Whether awesome. it lasts or not, I, lo- I like the fact that I keep it. I might just end up running
0: seven hundred C's which is i mean that's the best part is you can in in that sense yeah you have a 40 which is like a perfect kind of small big size and you could go yeah. so you have this range you know and then the 700s i don't know scientifically if this if this is true but i think they're faster because they're bigger wheels
1: i mean the speed the speed <laughs> difference though with someone of my ability is not like noticeable enough for it oh. to be like something that I take into consideration. No, so, just how it feels. Like it just feels yeah. faster. It feels, see, you I've know. only ever ridden 650Bs on my friend's bikes where I'm like, oh, can I have a quick go on your bike and like done a little circle around the car park? So I don't really know how it feels. So I don't know yet. Right now my heart is in 700Cs. But Six. for all I know, it's like the, that time difference of like, whoa, maybe my commute is 35 seconds longer. It's not going to bum me up.
0: That would be an interesting experiment. So you can yeah. like average your time over like a week or something and then <laughs>
1: Yeah. So I don't know. It's 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 definitely this entire build is being driven by aesthetics. Oh, that's cool. So will you paint whether the, it's practical or not, I don't know. Will you paint the wheels
0: too, or just the frame? like are you gonna do a whole
1: I don't think so. I was talking to a guy about this the other day. I don't think I will. I'm building a, I have a a track bike built by Adam Eldridge from Stanbridge Cycles. And he put um, carbon wheels on that. So I've got like a fire spoke on the front and a full disc on the back. And those (laughs) are for sure. But I haven't um, completed that. Sorry, Adam, but it will happen. Um, That bike I painted, but in terms of the the wheels I'm going to run on the Cervelo, I think that, I'm not comfortable with painted rims yet. I'm not sure about how how my work can be applied to them in a way that will add to the bike rather than detract. I think that my main focus is on frame and fork at the moment. I mean, bikes are
0: such a fucking pain in the ass. These like they small are. round surfaces with like yeah, other
1: yeah. things in them. Oh, I and mean, when you look at bikes that have, you know, it, it's just too easy. Just to, oh, all black components painted frame and forks like that's a very easy way to make your paint job look good but then you know it's my bike i want it to look good so maybe i'll just do that but at the same time when you look at people who have painted their stands and like those guys at squid bikes mm. they're mind-blowing they, they have a really cool approach to painting and i really enjoy that um, Yeah. so i don't know where i sit because i've only ever painted one and yeah, i would like to I would like to paint a few more to know where I feel and maybe I will end up painting wheels as it stands. I don't think I will.
0: I mean, they're just hard. It's hard. Cause this fucking, yeah. it's really spray is like the easiest thing to do. And it's still hard with spray cause it's yeah. this goddamn, like, that's why I was thinking like painting cars, I, I'm sure there's a ton of little things in there, but it's kind of these like big surfaces, which seems like really nice.
1: Yeah, that's what I want to create, these big, anamorphic, Dude. gelatinous shapes that are just like brrr, and bulbous. Bicycles are all like, they're like a science teacher that's got the really like chiseled cheekbones and jawline and a spiky little nose and some sharp glasses. <laughs> and you're like, fuck, that's what a bike is. It's really sharp and cool. Even though, you know, you get soft ones, but they're just so angular, so angular.
0: Now I'm thinking about, like, if you had like your your amorphous project. Because with a lot of the car. Well, not even this is not I was going to say with the cars that I've seen recently, like the, it's not brands. It is like a lot of messages and things, which is so fucking sick. So the the amorphous stuff, you think it would kind of have. Like message based things to it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that makes I sense. I mean that's,
1: that's all I can that's really all I can do. The messages That's all I can do. <laughs> that's that's like the messages are like going back to why did you start making paintings that were based around lettering in the first place? Right. It's just like I have things to say. And in the that's recent great. years I've been repeating what I want to say. Which and, is okay. Yeah, and there's a reason for that. And because no one's listening. <laughs> so I keep saying the same thing. Um, it's my view on the world and yeah but I present it in a way that it catches your eye because it looks like it's authentically motorsport yes looks like vinyl it looks like it belongs in the right place and it looks like it's sponsorship right draws people in because not everyone is ready to read a placard like not everyone wants to look at photos from a protest Right. Too political. So then, my cars capture an audience that maybe isn't paying enough attention. Interesting. That I like it's like subversive. My yeah. But anyway, I've gone into like motorcycles, cars, things that are predominantly quite masculine, and tried to break that down and get rid of this kind of macho culture and the idea that like burying your head in the sand for the sake of the sport, is is the best option. Like, everyone should be conscious of what is going on politically. It doesn't have to affect their, their sport, but it should be represented in there somewhere.
0: Right, yeah, and, and awareness of it, consciousness. Yeah, it commun- happens
1: in music and art,
0: so it should happen in sport too. Right, yes, yes, yes. Yes. Hmm... Oh, that's what I was going to say. I totally thought that you, okay, so say you have like a car project or a project of some form. I'm assuming you're doing like a like a, uh, mock ups before you dive into this, or are you just fucking heading the
1: deep end? Uh, I just, so I, I need the object there. So yeah, uh, totally. I used like quarter inch blue 3M vinyl blue tape. Uh, and I and I map out areas that you look at, so whether it's a helmet, a motorcycle, a car, I map out areas that I feel need something, and alongside that I'll have like a visual kind of assets package of stuff that's going along, stuff that I've been painting recently, a current kind of aesthetic that I'm exploring, and I'll work out how to apply those things. Like a recent project I've been obsessed with flames. Before it was like folded out. Yes pieces of paper that look like they're popping off. But like I mean I I get obsessed with an icon or a symbol.
0: Love it. And
1: then that dictates an entire kind of graphic language based around that. So how the logos are made and how the different lettering is presented and all my statements appear in this specific way. I have that idea and then I look at the object and then I look at the spaces that allow me to apply those sort of Uh, interesting creations that I have. Some of them are like extremely refined and some of them are a little more like specific to the the, the, the object I'm putting it onto. It's kind of site specific.
0: So you'll mask it off and then are you drawing it on the
1: object? No, like, there's a lot of different processes. So oh, okay. some of it is, I rarely draw directly onto things like cars because the paint surfaces can get really damaged by using even the wax crayons that I would use on a helmet. So they're like Whoa. a water-soluble pencil so they're not wax, But they're a water-soluble pencil um, that can be removed from glass and stuff. Uh, called it. a Stabilo.
0: Yes, I know exactly what you're talking about.
1: Yeah, so there you can draw onto pretty much everything with those. Cars, it marks oh. the paint. Oh, it so does. with cars, sometimes I have to project stuff. That's probably my last and least favorite way of doing it because, you know, projects right. 2D and there's cars, that are cars. So most of the time what I do is I'll draw... Something and I'll scan it in and then I'll increase it on scale. So I have like a larger 24 inch by 150 feet little black and white blueprint printer that typically get used on job sites for architects, like to show floor plans and stuff. And I use that. uh, And so then I can cut it out and stick it up on the car and see if it looks right. And then I use a pounce wheel.
0: Ah, yes.
1: Yeah, so I found like a little stirrup with all the little spikes on it and I you dust French chalk through it. So then when you remove it, it leaves the outline of what you wanted to draw on the car.
0: Totally.
1: Um, another option for smaller pieces, like some of my things that I paint are very small and they're much harder to pounce. So then I'll just use a thing called a transfer paper, it's a wax free transfer paper. stuff.
0: Oh yeah, I know that
1: stuff. Yeah, so I do it the way that I saw all my tattooists do it, rather than putting the, so this stuff has like a a chalky side and then a smooth side. Um, If you lay it chalk face up and you put your piece of paper down onto it and you trace what you want to transfer, it then puts it onto the piece of paper so you can put it onto the surface. Whereas what the box tells you to do is put the chalk face down onto the surface, and then right. your smudges so much you get chalk everywhere. Interesting. In way, it means there's one extra step to the process. So you Rather than just having your drawing and transferring it, you have to draw, pick up dust, and then trace it again. So you end up drawing the same thing three times. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You,
0: right. Which actually, for the longest time, I used to think was just bullshit. Like, I don't want to draw something more than once, but it is, like, <clears throat> one of the most professional things you can do.
1: Yeah. And it definitely helps because it creates a muscle memory for your hand. Right. So when you're when you when you're drawing it or if you're painting it with a brush, you know, it might be only the second time you've ever done that. Whereas by the time you transfer it in that system, you've already done that process five times probably, and then you've repeated it and repeated it. So then when you brush it, your hand kinda knows where to go.
0: Yeah. It's like building yourself up for success in a sense. Like little yeah. exercises. Yeah, that's, that's the idea. but so then when you're like if you're just starting off with a helmet or something are you sketching like on a sketch pad to just like thumbnail the thing out yeah okay yeah that it seems almost necessary but you never know everyone's got like such a different formula yeah
1: it's always you know it all like my sketches are very rudimentary but they they start as you know the equivalent of a stick man drawing you know like a helmet it's like kind of circle and then there's going to be something that goes here and then that develops bigger and then there's usually a lot of annotations just cool just ideas 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 love it and that develops more into like me physically holding the object yeah i rarely send anybody any ideas as they don't usually get to see so i don't have to finish it i can just get into
0: it yeah that's
1: awesome critical because like people yeah. need, some people need to have renders that different clients the more So I guess the more you pay, the more they expect to render. And and at that time, sometimes I work with other people to do renders. Sometimes let them deal with my pencil sketches. Right, yeah, you're like, this is
0: my rendering. Like, take it or leave it, you know? Yeah. Um, What about uh, how have you... So I'll call it filling the well. But, you know, when we we make things where I was producing, but we need to input. And I'm just curious what you've been doing to do that recently where it's like you know museums aren't a thing right now it's hard to go to like stores like yeah the fuck do you do like
1: i mean this is where i'm so i'm actually running on reserves i guess so i think that i i am lucky enough to have two years backlog of ideas and projects that i should be working on so since the lockdown it had it was like okay well now kick into gear this stuff but the reality of my actual commercial job as an art director at race service meant that a lot of our quite large projects had to pivot and change into something online. So live events that we were planning had to suddenly become digital. So there has been a consistent workflow through race service that has not allowed me to like fully get into the making jigsaw puzzles and learning woodworking stuff that some people did during lockdown. My job kind of like amped up. Um, And a lot more difficult because vendors weren't open, I couldn't get stuff delivered, I couldn't go and pick up materials from stores, like everything suddenly was like extreme. Um, But yeah, I think the, the, the outcome has been that I have learned yet another level of my productivity that I'm capable of.
0: Interesting. I hear that phrase a lot about people who just recently had kids so you yeah. might get another level of this Well,
1: maybe i'm just getting it early I'm oh that's true i mean it's extremely difficult for my wife to be pregnant in a pandemic like oh my god there's a lot of stuff going on um with hospital visits and planning maternity leave and figuring out nurseries and like we've never bought a a, a push chair before or like a you know car seat or a cot or a crib like we we don't know what these things are we're having to choose them online and that's obviously kind of annoying and weird for us so there's been a lot of like that and then i have to then switch into work mode so
0: uh how often are you or do you ever make things that are like not familiar for you like things that are kind of uncomfortable because they're not familiar do you have like much of a practice of that or like a relationship to that
1: I mean that goes back to the sort of time to find of experimentation and I think that I do I'm lucky that I probably had two or three occasions like that in the last year oh that's pretty good yeah I mean it is pretty good it is pretty good if you're having to work consistently but the the level of experimentation isn't to anything where it's developed enough
0: to show anybody. No, no, and I, yeah, I'm just more like, trying new things is like, it's hard, it's uncomfortable. It doesn't, especially when when we get good at like one thing, it's like, oh, I want to try this other thing. And you're like, oh, I suddenly like, I'm not good at this because I'm new to it.
1: Yeah, most of the stuff that I actually try out because like going with the tunnel vision thing is like, I am trying out stuff like staying on top of my taxes. Um, recycling more and uh, keeping the house organized like I'm I, I have these other things that I'm like practicing because my workflow is just cool. consistent and fun and I get a lot out of it but then there's all these other things that I know I need to practice more like I shouldn't be spending a weekend in the studio working this stuff out if like I can um, get a storage unit and organize my archives Yeah,
0: or like life. That's life work balance.
1: Yeah. And and I enjoy life. Like, I was always scared of becoming what I considered middle aged. And now I'm here and I'm like, man, this is amazing. I go for a walk after dinner and then I go to bed at 9 p.m. and I wake up and I feel really good. And then I'm going to learn this new stretching technique. I'm going to go for a bicycle ride. (laughs) Oh, lovely. Life is good. Like, oh, actually, on the way to the studio, I better drop off my recycling. (laughs) Cool. Totally. <laughs> like, it feels good to do that and then I know that work is consistent and art is there and it's just always like turn up and I'm like yay now I'm in my safe place and I just keep doing the stuff um, but it's been it, I've enjoyed going from this reckless kind of 20 year old into a, a guy in his mid 30s who's he's like slowed down and
0: just enjoying it right like now you, you, going from like someone sprinting to someone I don't know the term for like a marathon like jogging I guess
1: yeah you're like yeah.
0: oh okay it's, like rhythm well, yeah. and
1: there's this, there's this I think it's just to kind of come into terms with an ego and an arrogance of your 20s and just being like this passionate eager over the top kind of enthusiastic know-it-all to just being like hey don't look at me anymore man this is cool I found this really cool groove and I'm just gonna like keep keep in this and this is cool like Leave me alone. Leave me alone. <laughs> I'm not harming anybody. I'm just
0: having a good time. I'm Uh or Do you use drugs or alcohol? Are those like part of your uh, life at all? Not really. I, I, I do
1: drink, uh, but I, wouldn't, I don't use drugs. Like no cannabis? No. I mean, I, I used to smoke a lot of weed. Like a lot. when I, And that's back again in my 20s. But if I'm honest, it caused some issues with my relationship with you. Like with a... My wife doesn't smoke weed. Totally. And and like, I'm not even, I don't think I should hold anything back here either. I just, I I created a dependency on it Mm -hmm. that stopped me from traveling. So, living in Europe where it wasn't accessible, there was still this kind of like slightly seedy undercurrent kind of thing going on. Mm -hmm. You had to go and pick it up. And if you couldn't get hold of the guy, it was stressful. And someone said, hey, let's go on a trip to, France you're like well where am I gonna buy weed in France I'll just stay here so I I kind of cleansed myself of that when I was about 27 28 before I moved to Australia I was just like yeah I don't need to smoke weed
0: yeah that's great it's cool because you you basically saw how it was like getting in the way it wasn't helping
1: it was definitely getting in the way and I wasn't aware of it until my wife pointed it out and then moved to California and it's like legal so then it's like okay cool well we can try this stuff recreationally and then I realized it was a hindrance to certain levels of productivity for me and I wasn't finding the same buzz as I used to have with it and I was like definitely had a, a reliance on it to create work in my 20s so oh, I like can yeah. smoke weed and get into a zone um, now I find that through other avenues and it's like just making sure I have a good breakfast and having, like, a nice dinner the night before and drinking enough water and exercising and having a beer. And, like, that is, for me, like, so I can still function. Whereas, like, I feel like when you stop smoking weed and you start again, you're just like, oh, <laughs> it's not very good for you. <laughs> My tolerance has got extremely low. Right,
0: yeah, yeah. Well, and then <laughs> it, it affects everybody so differently, too, you know?
1: Yeah. So. I mean, I, I had a... I had a party at my studio for a big collaboration and it was the night, the opening night, it was like 7pm, people were starting to come in and the client was there too, who's also a friend and he knows the story but as a celebration I took a token, on a friend of mine's joint and I just wigged out man, I had to go next door and like lie down for three hours and was like super alert about what was going on and it just because I was at such a heightened level of anxiety. Mm-hmm. and then my tolerance was so low they were right. just like bad combination but i could have drunk 12 beers and still been dancing around and it doesn't it wouldn't have affected me in that way but one tone and i used to smoke three grams a day when i was in london that you know, was a like oh. completely different lifestyle but right gone
0: yeah that's fascinating huh it does definitely amp it's almost like a flashlight in a dark room. Like yeah. cannabis is like oh, or a magnifying glass on like whatever the thing. So if you're like, like you said, you're already kind of amped up and anxious, and it just was like, yeah. crank the a volume up. Night
1: for a show, bad idea. Unless you're a regular smoker, if you're a regular smoker, then it's the perfect thing to do. But if you're a rookie, you're a newfound rookie, and then you're like, oh, these people are coming to see my work. Oh, fuck! And then you're like a little bit nervous and anxious. If you smoke a joint, it's like, ah, the wrong thing to do. Pretty it's pretty funny. You know, it's, um, I'm not I'm not anti drug in any way. I've, I've done a little bit of everything and it's fun. I think I, I fully understand why they're necessary in the planet and I'm not anti drug whatsoever. Right, right. I'm just right, right. um I just a little bit weaker now. I like going to bed early. Yeah, I mean the path
0: does, <laughs> it does what it does, you know? Like I totally understand. I get, yeah, and I just think it's curious, too, to see how everyone interacts with it so differently, you know?
1: It still smells delicious. That's the thing. Living in Los Angeles, it's, like, taunts me every day. It smells... Every day. Uh, that's glorious. Crazy. Yeah,
0: that's what SF. When I lived in SF, I was a bike messenger there, and riding around the city, you would just smell weed everywhere yeah. every day. It was, like, this city is just high
1: all the yeah. time. But it's, a, it's such a lovely smell. I, I, I do agree with that. Yeah. My dad used to smoke weed. So I was like, I started smoking. I used to smoke oh, weed, old wow. joints out of his ashtray when I was like 14 years old. Did he ever smoke with you or offer it with you? Yeah, we smoked together. But that was after I'd left home and everything. Like I'd right. go back to Christmas and there was some funny times because yeah, in England, it was the, the birth of skunk, which is, you know, you guys have got all these different strains. We used to just go to a guy, and it was either hash or homegrown, which is just like kind of bushweed, mm-hmm. or you'd get skunk. And skunk could be any form of it. It might be an indica. It might be a sativa. You don't know what it was. there's right. something that had little bits of purple hair in it, cost a lot more money, and had little crystals on it. And I started smoking that, and I'd share it with my dad, who was used to smoking hash from the 80s. Interesting. And he would wig out. And then he'd go to bed and ask my mom <laughs> to bring him a cup of tea and some biscuits and he'd be all stoned upstairs and I'd be like, oh man, I just got my dad really stoned, this is terrible. But then every time I'd go and visit him, he'd be like, hey, can you bring some of that skunk? Oh, he was asking for it, so he had to come up with his own name and he'd call it Hooch. Hooch. Like, we come with that Hooch with you. Um, so yeah, he, he still smoked until he was probably like I guess, 60. He oh st- wow! Weed
0: anymore. Yeah. Huh.
1: That's cool. The family of stoners. <laughs> <you Yeah>. <laughs> uh, my mom didn't smoke. She quit when she had me. That's what oh. she
0: said. Uh, I don't know. Maybe we kind of covered all the. Oh well, you. Got, I'm. You basically said this is why you like lettering, but. Like you kind of don't make representational work. You know, like you kinda of just stay in that is there like do you ever like even sketch people? Like is it just yeah, I do.
1: They're really bad. Oh, that's cool though. I do. Um, every every year or so I I attempt landscapes and I attempt oh, figures. Wow. Um, yeah, it's consistently terrible.
0: I mean, it's not practiced.
1: It isn't practiced. You know, I'm the first person to admit that, and it's the same thing I say to my friends who say, oh, I can't draw. I'm like, that's because you haven't put any time into it, and you're probably discouraged as a child. If you right. put some time in it, it's like you can't speak a certain language either. Learn it, and you'll be good at it. I do believe that. There are certain innate natural abilities that some people have, but everyone can draw something. Mm-hmm. Whether it's going to change the world or not is another another story but that's yeah, a lot of I, pressure i, I do continue try but i also find that i i end up breaking it down to something graphical almost it always gets refined like i love jeff mcfetridge's work but we sure say that yeah but you know he can draw figuratively beautifully like you even see it sometimes he shares that kind of stuff with you like you know he can draw that his proportions would be beautiful but he chooses to put a style of work out where he's broken that line down to the simplest form or the most impact in a split second on a bus shelter. You know, that's that drive past it, that was a human being kind of representation. Um, so that's what I draw. I realize that I'm terrible at drawing figuratively. So then I break it down into something more graphical and then that lives in my sketchbook. And I think, oh, maybe one day I'll introduce a human to my work, I never do.
0: I like that to breaking it down like graphically it's almost like a a uh, it's a cool way to understand the 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 form basically the the figure yeah. the pieces
1: yeah it's just the shape it's the shape we take up in space and it's like what negative space do we create as a being like in yeah. space, you but, can see that yeah
0: yeah, but the human is like really complex it's like a hand there's like it goes you know, this way, this way, and this way, and then it can go around, and it can be however it is in space with foreshortening and, like... That's why you... That's typically
1: what we would term as graphics is 2D. It's flattened. So you can flatten that image. You don't have to foreshorten the thumb. You just give it all equal spacing, and you've just drawn a hand like that. If you try and draw a hand at this scale, then everyone's going to get it wrong because this thumb is the same proportion as this finger and they haven't thought about the fact that this would be casting shadow on this finger. So it's like a graphic hand would be this or this. You know, it's like flattening. That's what I do like, it's like flatten things. And then I bring in an added element of the, like 3D of like another dimension by making that look like it's popping off a surface. So a flat drawing of a thumb with a hard 3D kind of cast shadow looks like it's a button of a thumb with a cast shadow. And then I'm like, why am I drawing these things? <laughs> <laughs> i got to draw, it comes with buttons and stuff. So then I just go back to the worst.
0: Huh, cool. Yeah, I th- it's all so fascinating to me. Uh, OK, I got two more, and then I'll let you go. Um, <laughs> I keep, he keeps pulling out questions all over the place. What the fuck, man? Um, <sighs> First, the I saw on your Instagram feed the crazy little videos that you did. I don't know how long ago that was, like a couple yeah. of years
1: maybe? Yeah, yeah, like, well, uh, 20,
0: probably 2015. Dude, they're fucking sick. They were basically like, a, it was like a day in your life, all visual yeah. with it's, no
1: talking. It's funny you say that because that, uh, I just made a note today to make another one of those things. I did like it. I used to, I used to have a lot of fun. I just got a, a GoPro back then and like oh, a, GoPro. a like I like doing all the titles and making weird little things. But like, if I'm honest, the reason I didn't really pursue it is because I think I was very uh, inspired by Van Neistat's videos that he was making for Tom Sachs, and I was like, oh, these are really awesome. And these I was awesome. wanting to make a video, but didn't know how to make a video. So now the reason I haven't made a video since is because I knew I was just like replicating his stuff. So I was like, how do I find my own voice of that style? Like,
0: By just doing it more. I mean, that's it, so, that, those are just found references, inspiration. That's just foundation.
1: Yeah. No, every year I buy a new camera. Like I just bought really? a RX-7 or RX-107 or whatever it is. It's like the one with the flip-up screen. And like I, every year I buy a new camera and then I, I make little things, but It still is just too – I haven't found a voice in in video, so I don't know how to make it. This is interesting because – so
0: how – I feel like this is what you do too. No, this is insane. This is exactly what you do. Cause this is what you did with sign painting. So how I interact with things that I want to make or that I want to be good at is I'll just start doing it and put it out there. Like I'm yeah. not going to build up this like inventory of something to be just right. And then show the world. Like I, it's just volume, volume, volume. And this is yeah. great. This pulls into this other question too, of like uh, process or production over perfection. Like, just make the work and like perfect doesn't exist. And the more you make, the better it's going to get.
1: Yeah. I think that the difference now is that I am established. And at the beginning, I wasn't Mm. established enough that someone could call me out. So it was like, this is just someone new and starting up. And if he's copying a traditional Victorian style of sign painting, we're not going to call him a faker. Whereas now it's like, Mm. I haven't, I I can't claim that style as my own, so I shouldn't be putting it out there as my own. Like I have to spend enough time creating videos myself. Like what is what is the point and the story I'm trying to tell of of painting? And like it isn't there isn't really much interest Like a time lapse of me painting a car isn't very interesting. So like it's the moments in between that it's the storytelling and it's the creating of the titles and the the way that the door is lifted and the light and where I cut and everything, and, and all of that stuff just, it just keeps looking like Van that stuff. It's like, I, Tom Sachs's videos are, like, I watch That's them all the time. Yeah. I always watch them. I love them. And um, And I just, like, I can't can't rip off the
0: one that I really admire. No, so I, dude, it's going no matter what is going to have your voice and your version on it. Like I would yeah. not trip on the fact that it looks like something else. But also we need to have something to reference off of. Like yeah. if that wasn't there, then
1: like No, like I said, I was sitting in the hospital this morning with my wife and I made a note on my phone of that exact thing. I, I did a video for So so no Soho not so so. Yes. But with a cool little title with my phone on it, and I, like, I, I put my phone down on a yellow bit of paper, I type it, then it goes to a picture of me drawing this thing, and then I remove it, and it says my name. I'm like, damn, that, I was in a good mood then. And I was like, that. I would love to do that again. Um. So, yeah, watch this space. I'll try. Watch this space. <laughs> <laughs> I am Uh.
0: And the other thing is, is, okay, were those other ones, did you make them, like, was it almost vlog, like a daily vlog format where you made that? In the day that you did, because you started with a to-do list, and then you would do yeah. the thing and knock it down. Was that actually one day of uh, what you were doing? Yeah, yeah.
1: And then it was just edited on my phone in iMovie. Is it what I did was I bought this little thing? Oh yeah, sick. It, perfect. That's oh, a very that thing, thing, and I I, I just it's it's a terrible, really crap one from Seven Eleven yeah yes it's like really it doesn't really bend or anything now it's covered in dust it's a memento but i used to strap that onto my motorcycle or i'd like you oh, wow. staples and like video myself to getting that um ink cartridge and i was like this is really fun but it was a lot of work that's what i was
0: gonna get at is it's gnarly work yeah you think it's like this quick and easy thing
1: it's like that's a fucking project no, because you want to get the angle of me walking up to pick up the thing, and then you want to get the angle of me taking the thing. Then you want to get the angle of me walking away. So the guy at the counter, like, standing at the checkout is like, why is that guy picking up that ink cartridge three times and then putting it back in the shelf again and then moving around? And that you, know, you just feel, like, really insecure. And I was like, ah, oh. all right, see you guys. Thanks.
0: It's um, hard in public. It's really hard to do that. Yeah.
1: It, like two or three times and then stop. <laughs>
0: But you have an amazing playland that you're in right now where you could do a ton of stuff that no one needs to see, you know what I mean? Like So yeah. there's still ways to kind of whatever. Yeah, just please film. make more videos. They yeah, were fun. the last
1: five months, I've been filming a lot of stuff um, about this car that I've just finished. Um, so I have been filming a lot, but then I've been, I'm working with an editor.: Oh, I? yeah, that's awesome. And then have you ever
0: thought about, like, like you say, what's there to watch about, like, painting a project? I mean, one thing that would be fascinating to me is just your... It's almost like journal entry, like, visual, you know, like, oh, this thing is hard to get the stencil on, or this color is doing this thing, or that was awesome. It, basically, like, your experience while it's happening would be great for a storyline, I would think. Because yeah, I just
1: don't, There's two things that I I don't like: my voice and I don't like the breaking concentration. So
0: that's real. But you could do that at the end of a day. Like you could figure out a formula where that could be.
1: You, you could do could voiceovers.
0: In the morning, at the whenever you know.
1: Voiceovers. Um, Voiceover,
0: totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's more
1: a reluctance to adapt. And also a fear to accept anything new that might slow down my progress. It's real. That's super real. That that is something that would definitely hinder progress. And the the other side to that is I'm aware of the fact that it also allows me to add value to some of my projects for certain clients. Because some people are sending out entire production teams to film me do this stuff anyway. Because they want the footage of it. But that's also one of the reasons I work at Race Center, So I have a team of people. We have like seven or eight editors, and we have people who are extremely accomplished video directors, and then we have people who are extremely good cinematographers, and they've all got movies and red cameras. So if I need it, they're on my doorstep. I can ask them for favors, and I can work projects with them. But what always happens is the videos never look like the funny little ones I do on my phone, and that's what... I would prefer
0: to be putting out into the world as
1: funny little videos. Totally, totally,
0: yeah. Not super crisp, glossy ones. Right, right, right. Uh, and isn't... it? I, I feel like you had a phrase of process over perfection. Is that from you? Would you write that? It
1: sounds like something I would have said in like 2014 or 2015, yeah. But do you... So do you not feel... I used to say it's a trade, not an art. Also, but hmm. it's not. on still... I just need to get my computer charged. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I don't need to get my computer <laughs> charged.
0: Well, whatever. We can we can just end it too if we, if it's gonna die on us. I've got three percent left. Okay, let's just do it. Thanks so much. Okay. This was awesome. I don't know.
1: Thank you. No, That's I appreciate it. it. You've, you're, like I said, I've, I've been following your career for many years and seeing the different paths you've taken and how you've managed to accomplish something extremely significant and each one of those I feel is uh, an inspiration in the same way that I've jumped from industry to industry. It's like you have consistently um, created something worth looking at in every avenue. So oh, I appreciate, I appreciate it. Your, your videography is as as good as your clothing design and is as, as good as your artwork and as as good as your graphic design so wow it's cool i'm glad that i've met you properly thank you oh,
0: just a little more just a little more yeah, no, that, yeah, that's, all I, that's all you paid me to say <laughs> that was awesome thanks so much i fucking oh. uh, that was great it's so cool to hang out i can't wait to hang out with you in real life
1: yeah, I mean, uh, this is another thing when you when you meet cyclists who are clearly more accomplished than you, the natural thing would be like, come to Poland, we'll ride. And I'm like, that'll never happen. Yeah, but t-
0: I totally, we could do, whichever city that happens in, we can go for a ride. I cannot go crazy. That's, yeah. actually, yeah. that would be a funny video for us to do a ride. Like a regular bike ride. Or yeah. we could do what, it, yeah, that's a good. Ride to work with me. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That would be sick. Uh, And uh, congratulations on uh, being a dad.
1: Thanks. Yeah, it's amazing.
0: Um, Thank you to Nico for spending his time with us, sharing his path, his process, all the wonderful things that he does. If you're interested in seeing more from Nikolai, check him out, ornamental, at ornamentalconifer on Instagram. He is literally, literally, literally. He is an amazing artist. He makes amazing things. He's painting cars and motorcycles and helmets. Your eyes will thank you. It's awesome. So, so, yeah. um, yeah, The world thanks you, Nico. Thank you. If you'd like to hang out with me on Instagram, shameless self-promotion, check out DustinKline underscore dot com slash ampersand slash. Thank you for being here. We'll see you next week. Same time, same channel. Nothing but love. Goodbye.